The reason why Pastor Lucas gave that illustration is because for the last several weeks, we as a church have been focusing on that topic of work. And this morning, we're going to bring that sermon series to an end. So I thought I'd start by just kind of recapping where we have been. We started with some of the challenges of work. We looked at a different text from the book of Ecclesiastes that talked about the frustrations and the meaningless of work, how we can dedicate ourselves to something and give so much of our lives to it, and yet in the end, hand it over to someone who would allow it to be destroyed or see it fall apart after our, our finishing of that work and wonder if it had any meaning. We continued with that idea looking at working in a fallen world and how while we were created to work, that work always has been frustrated in a fallen world. And part of living in a broken world is that our relationship with work is tainted and affected. Finally, we looked at that temptation toward idleness and how wanting to withdraw from work is not an option, that everything we want, we must work for in this life, and that can be a challenge. But over the last couple of weeks, we tried to balance that with some of the more positive things, some of the ways that having a relationship with God affects our relationship with work. And we saw how God created or how God commanded us in his creation to rest. To not be enslaved to our work, but to recognize that when we serve God, it's not our world to control, but we can rest in him knowing that he will continue to unfold his plans. And so we don't have to be enslaved by that work. And last week, we talked about how we are encouraged to look past our human bosses, those who try to tell us how to use our time to our true boss, our true Lord in heaven, serving him in all that we do. Well, this morning, I thought we could end where we began by looking at a text from Ecclesiastes, this time from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the first 15 verses. It can be found starting in your pew Bibles on page 657, or you are more than welcome to just follow along at the words on the screen behind me. The teacher of Ecclesiastes says, For everything there is a season. And a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker for his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, 
He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I truly believe that no matter when or where you live, that there will be people who can tell you the stories of the good old days. And we hear some of those stories, don't we? We hear of the good old days before cell phones that when you left your house, you were no longer able to be bothered by phone calls or text messages. You could escape emails. You could focus on what you wanted to do rather than constantly replying to the interruptions to your day that came with the cell phone. But of course, before phones, there were the, the good old days before the television when families weren't distracted at the dinner table and they would all gather around and there wasn't the, the, the channels that were constantly calling to your attention. Of course, before that, there were the good old days before there were the cars that constantly were driving you off of your property and distracting you with long distance things that were far out of your concern but you could just stay home together with those that you loved. The conversation is nothing new. It's always taken place. And there never has been a time when people looked and they said, yes, these are the good days. Everything is wonderful right now. And we've got all that we wanted to have figured out. I mention that because our text for this morning starts with that very familiar and famous poem that talks about times and seasons. And in this beautifully poetic way, the author lays out several of the realities of life in all of its ups and downs. And that's exactly what it is. I agree with the commentators that suggest that this isn't a description of things that have to be or even things that should be, that each one of these pairs have to have a corresponding element that we recommend or endorse. No, this is simply an acknowledgement that this is generally how life is. In the totality of life, there will be good times and there will be bad times. There will be joys and there will be struggles. There will be times of building and prosperity and times of things falling apart and decaying. And then when you go to some of those few verses of application of this poem, what the, the teacher also suggests about humanity is found in verse 11 that God has put eternity into man's heart. And what most people believe that is talking about is the idea that as human beings, we don't just live from day to day. 
just trying to survive the moment and, and just enduring our lives. Instead, we are those who are blessed to be able to see the big picture. We live not just moment by moment, but with long-term goals and plans and ideas of where we want to go and where the trajectory of life is leading us, not just for our own lives, but making plans and developing ideas for those that will come after us in the future. And so when you take that poem... And you take the issue of us having eternity in our lives and being big picture people. And you put those two things together. We end up dealing with the issue of this text. When we think about work. When we think about life. We ask that question with the author of Ecclesiastes. What is the goal? What is the aim? What is our hope? in working and for many the big project of life in our work seems to boil down to the idea of trying to control and promote all of the good and get rid of all of the bad and just think about how much work goes into that very concept think about war and peace and how many times throughout history have a new invention come along? A new experience of humanity. World War II was the war to end all wars. Having seen the awfulness and the, the destruction of humanity, surely humanity would never do this to ourselves again. And so all of the, the work to try to maintain peace. And yet wars still take place. We think of life and death and all of the technology and work and effort that we've done to try to prolong life as much as possible and invent medicines and technologies of, of medical things where you can replace hips and, and bum knees and where you can fix broken hearts and do all of these things so that death can be delayed as long as possible and the quality of our lives be improved. But we still die. We still face disease. And we still hurt. Think about politics. We just got through a, a season of midterm elections. And all candidates on both sides of the issues would stand and say, when you vote for us, we will make your life better. Those other people are trying to ruin and destroy your life, but we have the answers. And so if you fill in the circle for us, well, then life is going to get better. All of the bad things of the past will be gone, and we promise all of the good. And yet no politician has been able to deliver on those promises. Again, the great human project seems to be to minimize suffering and struggle and maximize joy and dancing. We want all gain and no pain. We want all good, no bad. We want eternal improvement, prosperity, and constant growth. And that is why so many work. But then the question gets asked in verse 9. 
What gain has the worker for his toil? In that great project, in all of that striving that we try to do to control this world, to manipulate times and seasons so that everything goes, has that project borne fruit? Have we been successful? And as I've already alluded to it, the honest answer has to be no. Despite our work, despite many good advances, we still have wars. We still hate, we still tear things down, we still kill, we still die. And here's the issue in the confession of our text. No matter how hard we try to work and to control this world and its seasons and its times, this isn't our world to control. We don't. We can't control when good or bad things happen in this world. All of our efforts in that direction will fail. Because we're not the ones in charge. But God is. He is the one with the plan. The plan that, cannot, that we can't figure out. The plan that we cannot control. The plan that we cannot manipulate. Now on the one hand, when it comes to working... That might sound very nihilistic or depressing or, in the words of Ecclesiastes, meaningless and vanity. This is why work can feel so hard. Because, as we saw in the first sermon, we can work on something for our whole lives, develop it, look like things are going good, and then all of a sudden the market changes. All of a sudden, a natural disaster comes and wipes out all that we had built. We get sick, injured, or ill, and we are unable to enfold and, and fill out those plans that we had. And we did nothing wrong. You can't say that you messed up. No, it's, it was despite our work that these things happened. And that's how some people look at life. That's somehow some people interpret verses 12 and 13 of our text that just says that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Again, for some, they just look at that as, well, this is the best we have, so throw up your hands and try to find some good in it because the ride's going to be short, it's going to end, you don't know when, and so do your best and seize the day. But I don't believe that that's what this text is calling for. Because although our work our toil and our effort might not be able to control the world. We know who does. Our God in heaven. And instead of that leading to frustration of the idea that we wanted to control things, but we have to leave it in his hands, we can find peace in that truth. We can find comfort in the fact that our God is the one who controls all things, that he will make all things beautiful in its time. And again, while we might be frustrated by what we don't know, God's plans, we can be comforted by the fact that he is a good, faithful, righteous God, and that it is a gift 
a joy and a comfort to be able to allow him to enact that good plan on our behalf. And what he does is what will last. That's the promise of verse 14 in many ways the climax to this text. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. And I think in that verse we see that there is still a pathway where our work and our effort will have meaning in this life. And this is that pathway. Instead of looking for work to provide for ourselves, to be worried about my own comfort, my own life, to build a big enough nest egg so that I don't have to worry about the problems or struggles or trials that will come in this life, but I will be comfortable, we change our perspective. And we look at our work as an opportunity to join in the lasting work that God is doing in this world. And that is what will make our work worth something. Instead of complaining about what we cannot control or do in this world, we look at what God can do with us. And in all of the seasons and times of this world, we praise God that we were born at this season and at this time in this place recognizing all of the blessings that have come to us because of that. We praise God and try to find and develop the gifts and the talents that he has given to us, not for our own glory, but for the building out of his kingdom and service in this world. And then in, instead of using our time, our effort, and our work for the building up of ourselves, we try to find ways that we can use our work in order to join in with God's work. We, we try to discover, God, what are you up to in this world, in this place right now? And how can I join into that work so that what I do will last and will endure? And when we do that, that is when our work has meaning and purpose. I can now rest from my work, trusting that God is in control. And I can take pleasure that when I've seen how my gifts have been used to bless others, it's something to enjoy. I can think about work as I, I serve the Lord, working for him and not for man in everything that I do. And then what I produce and with my money I earn, I don't look at it as a way to build up myself and protect my family, but for a way of, of creating a lasting impact in this world. My time, my resources aren't mine. They are God's to use. So how do I use them for his kingdom? And that is a gift, a gift of finding purpose and joy and meaning in our work. And that gift doesn't just affect our work, but affects all of our lives. You see, what this text says about work in our lives is what the message says, uh, the message of the whole Bible says about our salvation. Our greatest problem isn't the fact that wars continue 
That there is hate and there is death and there is destruction and problems and struggles. No, our greatest problem in this world is we have looked at the creator, holy God, and we have said, I don't think you've got this right. And I'm going to do my th things my way instead of your way. I want to control this world. I want to be in charge. And I will do that in opposition to your will and way. And when we rebel against God in that, all we have earned for ourselves is for him to say, okay, try life without me. And you're not going to get very far, and you will be removed from my presence forever because of your rebellion and sin. And that's nothing that we can fix. And that's nothing that any of our work would be able to change. But we're not in control of that. God is. And in his grace and mercy and in faithfulness to the promises that he made, he sent his one and only son to come to this earth. To die on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven, our broken relationship with God restored. And now we can, in response to his goodness and the promise of his victory over the grave, live with the hope and comfort that we belong to him and he is in control. I was talking with my Sunday school students this morning about the book of Revelation and that theme that gets amplified throughout that book. The idea that, yes, while we await the return of Christ, there are constantly trials and struggles, pain and issues that we will face. But here is the promise we cling to, that through Jesus Christ, the victory has been won. When he rose from the grave, it was a sure and certain promise that death was defeated and that sin has been eliminated from the consequences of our lives. And now we have a reason to live. And that is what this table is about. It is about suggesting and recognizing that we are not the ones in control. But we live to serve a good and gracious God. And thanks be to God that in his love and mercy shown toward us, he gives us every good and perfect gift. And so my great hope this morning is as we approach this table, not only do we remember the need we have, but more importantly, having participated at this table, it is a great reminder to now go forth into this world, this world that we ultimately cannot control, where we will face both good and bad, but no matter what we face, we do so in the hope, the comfort, and the joy that our God is the one who truly is in control, and in the end, he works all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we begin by asking you to forgive us. Forgive us for thinking that this is our world to control to think that through our efforts and our designs and our abilities, we would be able to manipulate you and to manipulate circumstances in a way that are outside of your will. And Lord, we have tried. But in that, we also thank you for the comfort, the comfort of knowing that you, 
The great, holy, and righteous God is the one who still governs and controls his creation. That you have not abandoned us to chance, but that you still guide and direct. And that you make things beautiful in your time, and that you have a plan that is unfolding. May we trust in that plan, but more importantly, may we look for what you are at work in this world and join in that work with our gifts, our time, our ability, our finances, so that in the end, what we do does endure. And so, Lord, since you gave your life for us, we surrender our lives to you, asking that all that we do would be guided and directed by your hand, by your word, and in accordance to your will and ways. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.